my work on anti-bullying has been this movement that started obviously through that song, The Game, and then the world tour sort of came together through realizing that the principals, superintendents, teachers were saying, come speak at the school, this university, and then I would have fans say, do a concert in the UK. And so that sort of turned into this situation where I was like, this is a beyond our country thing. Like this is a global thing. Um, So that led to the first world tour, which included Greece, the UK, It really like just the places that I ended up going to talking about, you know, on behalf of this message and this cause totally caught me by surprise. I didn't even know there were that many people within the U.S. that had the kind of bullying I had. So that part of my career opened my eyes to seeing like lots of kids feel alone, but yet at the same time, lots of kids go through this. And if we all learn that we're not alone, that might help, thus leading to this this new song. Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Meredith O'Connor's on the show. Meredith grew up in Long Island, New York, where she danced, acted in theater, and took singing lessons as a child. She then made her way into modeling, and this is where she was discovered as a pop singer. As a singer, Meredith has played to packed audiences globally, and her music has been featured on Teen Nick and Radio Disney. Her hit song, Celebrity, which went viral on YouTube in 2013 and has more than 2 million views, became an international hit, launching her singing career globally. After her hit song, The Game, about bullying was released that same year, Meredith began speaking about bullying internationally and was eventually invited to speak at the United Nations. Meredith has also been recognized by the city of Los Angeles as an anti-bullying icon. This summer, Meredith is launching a mental health awareness campaign called You're Not Alone. With this campaign, she's raising awareness for young people suffering from OCD, PTSD, and anxiety, something she's struggled with silently for the last decade, but is now ready to talk about publicly for the first time. As a leader in the cause of ending bullying and promoting mental health, Meredith has spoken alongside Charles Schwab, Doris Kearns Goodwin, and Khan Academy's Salman Khan. When I went into this interview, I thought we'd be talking more about her music and songwriting, but I was pleasantly surprised to find the conversation diving into her anti-bullying and mental health awareness campaigns. Meredith is certainly a multi-dimensional artist who is focused on using her platform to make positive change. So let's jump right into my talk with Meredith O'Connor. Meredith O'Connor, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to um, speak with you about some upcoming projects or really just one one big upcoming project. And I guess learning a little bit more about what you guys do at uh, Dream Path. But yeah, thanks for having me. So why don't we start off by just hearing about your upcoming project that you're excited about? Sure. So You're Not Alone is a campaign with many celebrities that people from all audiences may have heard of which is the exciting part. It's not, um, it's, although it's not officially announced in terms of who's on it and who's recorded and who's filmed in the music video already, it is a new campaign that will be launched and announced to my fans, obviously, but also will be reaching the fans of the TV, movie, and recording stars that have jumped on this mental health campaign. And I'm, I'm, it's just, as you can tell, it's hard for me to not go into the details, but the exciting thing that I'm sharing with you actually for the first time is um, the coronavirus situation has been obviously a new development that has been really troubling to so many. And um, 
even just the concept of uncertainty can be really stressful. But just knowing that things can get better and that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I think can really help me get through a lot, um, not even speaking about COVID, just any challenge in general. I had this debate on, you know, the original date to release it was going to be with Each Mind Matters in May, on May 19th. We have decided to postpone that, but at the same time, we are going to release it in the near future because I'm sort of thinking that it just, it really can help people who may be feeling hopeless, scared, or alone. And I, and I think that it could be that there's a good chance that it may be able to offer some solace to, to people who may otherwise be feeling alone. So, so that is sort of the upcoming campaign that is going to be involving um, some familiar faces as well. And we anticipated it to come out in May, but it will be coming out soon. And so, yeah, so that's, that's the project. It's basically, um, it's a song filmed with uh, stars from all over the world in one music video. And the message is obviously that you're not alone, but also that things do get better. And this project started two years ago, the idea for it, when I realized how many celebrities out there saw that this you know, social cause movement is important, especially when you have a following and a platform. But not only that, you know, I spoke a lot about anti-bullying for quite a while now, realizing that people all over are going through extreme forms of bullying, whether it's at home or at school. And I've just been really moved by how many celebrities have been inspired by the anti-bullying movement. And so that's sort of where it started as an idea. And, and I spoke to some friends who, who were on board with creating some sort of collaborative project you know, just about the movement. And then it slowly, you know, I, with my co-writer, Heather Holly, we worked together to create a song that would involve stars, ideally from all over the world. And it, you know, over the course of time, obviously this has been going on this project for a while. We've had more and more stars from different countries come on. So we're very, very excited about this whole thing. And that's, and that's pretty much the campaign, the, the gist of it. So when you say it's a campaign, can you tell us more about what that means? It sounds like there's a song, there's a music video, there's a message, but how do you define a campaign and the goal of that campaign? So yes, the, it's, there are certain facets of the campaign that are not, that will be announced like once the song is out, which is exciting. And that of course involves some of the celebrity participants. I am excited about speaking with media outlets from all over the world that we have ready to to discuss. Basically, the goal of this campaign is, you know, what, what makes it, you know, such a new project is something that I haven't spoken a lot to the media about is my own struggles with mental health diagnosis. Recently, I've been diagnosed with PTSD, and I had OCD. And, you know, OCD has been incredibly crippling. But in learning how to handle it, I've sort of discovered that it is possible for things to get better and you don't have to suffer in silence. So that testament, my own testimony, although it hasn't really been talked about much just because I haven't, people know me as, you know, an anti-bullying activist, but what they don't know is a lot of the mental turmoil that led to some of the situations I've been in and also that resulted from the bullying, such as PTSD. I feel like it's really important that this is shared for people who may be going through it and may not know what to do or may not realize that through therapy and through, you know, through taking the, the necessary steps to, to 
get better, they may not realize that it's possible. So my goal through this campaign um, is really obviously the reach of the celebrities on the song that from different countries. Some people that um, is some someone is a household name that all the a lot of parents from all over. I say parents, but a lot of people who legendary singers that everyone would know that may not be in my demographic. But the goal is really to incorporate media outlets and populations who may be experiencing mental anguish from all over the world to realize that no matter what our circumstances, we do we do all experience certain mental anxieties, but most importantly, things can get better. Yeah. Well, a couple of observations from what you just said, there's an approach to a campaign that like this, that's different than just the launch of a single or a launch of a music video. Uh, It it sounds like the song and the music video and the collaboration with all of these stars throughout the world is really designed to communicate an, an important message. And that's what's so cool about the work that you do is that it's not designed to get more Instagram followers or to become more popular, but you really have something to say. And you're trying to help people that are struggling with the same struggles that you have gone through. And and what's, what's so... Go ahead. Oh, no. I just thought... It, well, what's interesting is actually, just to take it a step back, like I was told... I mean, I first went viral on YouTube, what, seven years ago now? And when I realized I had this fame and there were... there, I remember there were tabloid-style interviews. There was being recognized in the street. And a lot of record executives had told me that putting out a positive message would essentially lose fans. It would lose media steam. It would lose relevance um, because nobody cares about a good cause. And this was a long time ago. This is before social causes in, in media or pop music was as common as you see now. But, but a while ago, several years ago, I was told not to do that. But at the same time, I sort of didn't rely on any, I, I didn't really want to put media relevancy or just doing things for shock value. I feel like I felt like there was enough of that. I felt like what kids needed was a role model that would basically say things that I were I was never told about growing up when I sort of needed like I wanted to be the role model that I wish I had essentially in terms of pop music. And what happened was despite people telling me it won't make you it won't increase your popularity, it will actually make you less relevant. It was you know, it was, I I was I figured let me go ahead and um put out this message because I feel like this is the only chance anyone will listen. But to my surprise, the irony of, I guess, all of it was that is what led to a career that didn't require publicity stunts or tabloids or some of my colleagues will say like, you know, unfortunately the media is, we need each other. Like stars need the media, the media need the stars and vice versa. And I feel like while that is true and while I love working with the media, I think it's also important to stay true to your message. So Ironically, I guess in releasing this song, that is what created, you know, hundreds of hundreds of thousands of people and and millions, you know, who have said this has helped change my life or this has saved my life. I've done meet and greets where people have said testimonies that have been like that stick with me till today. And I guess the point is no one expected it to strike as many chords as it did especially not me. I I grew up thinking I was like this freak of nature. And then I realized after I put out this song that might help a couple thousand kids around, hundred kids around the world, I thought if I'm lucky, ended up impacting in large, very, very large numbers, very intensely. And um, 
So then, of course, I think the same record executives changed their perspective. They said, oh, well, now it's great to talk about a good cause. So that was, that was ironic, you know, how that whole thing happened. And, and that was actually the beginning of that. I don't want to say that led to the idea of you are not alone, but the fact that a lot of people now are doing this cause and are using their platform for a good cause, which I actually think is great. I felt like, why don't we all, you know, come together for this to actually create this campaign that, that as you said, will, will impact and hopefully benefit the lives of millions. Yeah, I think it's important for young people and people who are in their 20s and 30s because they're still suffering as well, but especially young people to know that people like you, who, you know, you started off as a model, then you became a viral sensation on, on YouTube with, um, with celebrity. From the outside looking in, probably to most young people, you're not someone who would look like someone suffering from OCD or PTSD or anxiety. But if you can get out there with a message that this is actually something that a lot of people suffer from, and it's just remarkable. I'm, I'm 48 years old, but and I have three daughters, and I know through my daughters a lot of young people, and there's so many people that are suffering from OCD. I don't know what's going on, but it's really sad. It's sad. It's so crippling. It's like, it's so much more of a big deal than, than, I mean, like, you know, the, the guy that locks the door three times, of course there's some OCD there, but what people don't commonly talk about is like the millions, such as the people you had mentioned that you may know who have it, just the millions of people who are like, you know, when I was 13, I, I was in all the AP classes and I had to drop out of all of them. Like it was like, I could, I really couldn't function, but then I was able to go from that to, as you said, shortly after I began modeling and then the viral sensation thing happened and then the world tour. And like, this was all after therapy, but you know, it, it was very kind of, you know, there, it was very scary to have OCD. And first of all, like no one knew what was going on. Like my parents were like, we were trying to figure out what, what exactly it was. And being able to identify OCD and being like, you know, the reason that you're doing these compulsions or the reason that you are, I don't know, having these like intrusive thoughts of, of a bad day or whatever it is that causes anxiety, right? Just being able to point, pinpoint that and say like, we can work on this and it's fixable is, and also other people have it and they're fine. And you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That sort of is a totally different ball game than the one of like, we don't know what's going on with you. And you just don't know how to solve it. And you don't know anybody else who, especially in, in adolescence, you don't know anyone else who's going through that. Like that can be incredibly scary and isolating on top of everything. Plus the bullying didn't help either. But I, I do think that the idea of like the concept of universality can really, can really help make it a lot less scary to some people. And the fact that you mentioned that it is really common is, to me, it's sad because it's just up until we've recently started talking about mental health more openly, I think in, in this country and in the world up until then, I mean, think of all those people feeling scared and isolated. So that's part of why I'm really passionate about this song. A lot of the work I've done has really been motivated by, I have the fan base I have. What's something I wish a pop star did when I was 12, that nobody did, you know what I mean? That none of them did that I knew about. So if like, if I have people who are listening to my stuff, Here's my chance to to basically say stuff that I was was never told by someone I thought was glamorous, and I think I, I mean I think that the notion of like people may not know I have OCD because they don't know what it is is really important. A lot of times people may think that they're just they don't know why they do these things, they don't know why they freak out if they look at the color blue or whatever it is. 
I think it, it is important to to go through that. I mean, another message in, in my music prior to You Are Not, to the Yana campaign was the, what do you call it? Uh, was the song Just The Thing? And that was with Luke Billick. I mean, I feel like that was, you know, when you grow up with ADHD and OCD and learn differently and, and you think it's a disability, which it is classified as today, you may think you're, you're stupid. And then when you learn, when I, and I'm just speaking strictly to my own experience, but once I learned that I wasn't an idiot, right? Like once I learned that I was actually smart, despite being told that I, that I essentially by being called disabled, that I was less intelligent than most. Once I learned that that wasn't true, I became frustrated for all of the people who are told that when it's not true. So a lot of that messaging in like my other songs, like just the thing, was really just to say that like, just because you're different, you know what I mean, doesn't mean it's a setback. A lot of times it's just something that it could be a gift. It could just be you're bad at something and better at the other things. It could just mean that that you have your own different set of skills, but oftentimes the things that make us different, whether we hate them because they we get bullied for it as kids, whether we don't like it because we learn differently, whatever whatever we don't like our quirks for, they oftentimes end up being what make us successful. And, and I think a lot of the proof is in people who have become billionaires off of ideas and off of things that were once considered. You know what I mean? So that is also a lot of the messaging in it too. Yeah, the the COVID situation seems to me to be a good opportunity, actually. I know that it's awful and there's so many people suffering with feelings of isolation and anxiety because of the the invisible virus that's just affecting so many people. But I would imagine that what it's also doing, it's, it's sort of amplifying this sense of isolation and anxiety to the point where like you have to do something about it. It's not sort of percolating in the background anymore. It's mm-hmm. every everybody is really feeling it. And and also people that maybe have not suffered from anxiety and OCD before this are now starting to be able to empathize with those who feel this every day, whether it's a pandemic or not. My cousin and I actually made a, a joke to each other. We were saying, you know, because we, we both deal with our own anxiety and we were on FaceTime. And I was talking about, I said, I I really, you know, I feel for the people who are anxious all the time. And she asked how I'm holding up. And I said, you know, I'm personally with pertaining to the COVID situation. I've been lucky enough to find, to have my family as my quarantine and and I left Manhattan. And so we're sort of doing that whole thing. But regardless, I, I just, I don't feel any more stressed. And the joke was essentially that like a lot of the anxiety from somebody who has anxiety, a lot of times people will see the rest of the world feeling something that they may feel every single day. And and that was, you know, sort of from her words, because, you know, when you deal with anxiety, it definitely is a daily thing. But seeing that it's now like a widespread problem now, as you said, like, it's got to be talked about and addressed on a level of like, everybody's having it. And I think that's a good point. Like now it may be the kind of thing that the stigma is forced away, because it's not even anything to be shameful of, like everybody's experiencing it. So I, I think that that could be another maybe silver lining in this situation that there's less of a, of a stigma in talking about it. And, and so, you know, that, but, but I think in this, my personal goal of the campaign for Yana is to get the people who hear it to, to believe they can get better and get that help. You know what I mean? Like the first step I think we faced just speaking towards maybe this country is, is like, can I talk about it? Is it embarrassing? And I know this is, this is similar in globally as well. Just like I'm embarrassed to speak about something that that really shouldn't be embarrassing to talk about was sort of the first problem I think we had. And it, I think it looked a lot worse 10 years ago than it does now in terms of the mental health stigma. But I think now, I mean, 
thinking you can get better from serious issues is something a lot of people also face and just realizing like there's hope no matter how stuck you feel no matter how anxious or depressed or hopeless you feel there there is hope and and i think that that's an important sentiment that if people feel they'll you'll they'll get the help they need and and eventually see that progress i think it's also important that the parents of those affected become educated about it because i was just watching a couple of films on anxiety and ocd called angst and like and they're one hour educational films about their documentaries basically about these topics the director is Sheila Andreen out of Seattle. I'll send you her, inf- her information afterwards. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah. So she does a lot of outreach and, and work and messaging on anxiety and also how it, how it interconnects with social media right? and the pressures of social media. But one thing I found watching these films is that parents are so ignorant about their own child's dilemma that they're just, they're not just unhelpful. They can actually set the kid back because without that empathy and that, well, it's, it's not a lack of empathy. They have the capacity to be empathetic, Sure, but they just don't know that it's a real debilitating diagnosable thing. And I've actually said some of the same things that I saw parents in the film saying before, like, why don't you just put yourself out there? Why don't you just try, you know, and it rings hollow with your own children when their parents are saying things that have no connection to the reality that they are experiencing. Yeah. So if the parent understands that this is real and debilitating, they need to get on that level with their own child and learn the workarounds and learn what the therapy routes are. Yeah. I, I think that like that that is such a difference maker. And and you're right. I mean, if if you're like if somebody has a problem that that will be made worse from something and the parent does that just out of thinking their kid is let's just say typical right you know what i mean and, and they're going to do the thing that makes that will make the kid worse i mean that that is obviously the that that not, not obviously but that's often the format for a lot of problems that kids have and then parents like respond to it in ways that can without even realizing it make it worse you know my parents absolutely did that you know we jo- and, and I mean, it, it is to no fault of their own in the sense that they never had the opportunity to be presented with the information about OCD. It's sort of like when you get your high school diploma, your college diploma, even law school diploma, it doesn't really, you know what I mean? Unless you specifically learn about mental disorders, like if the average educated person is not, now it may be slightly different, but at least, you know, 10 years ago, the average person wasn't going to understand the symptoms that OCD was presenting, but it is sort of a problem when so many people have it and, or if somebody has an issue that will get made worse without the proper therapy. So I, so I think it is something that I think just simple education, realizing that this problem is not like a choice. They're doing it because of whatever reason, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're on this campaign and that you're continuing this positive messaging. Yeah, no, I think it's, I do hope you, you make a good point. I do hope it does reach the parents. You know, I hope it, it does offer some insight to families who may be experiencing this as well. I mean, you brought up a great point. So, so thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you become an international spokesperson on this issue? And I noticed in doing some research about you that you are involved with the United Nations and you're really doing, I mean, this is 
the message that you are putting out there is reaching it's a worldwide platform and it's pretty remarkable. So how did you become an international spokesperson on this? Yeah, I mean, well, I spoke at um I spoke at the UN with some NGOs on the incredible work that was done and my work on anti-bullying has been this movement that started obviously through that song The Game and then it one thing led to the next and then the world tour sort of came together first before the world tour came together through realizing that this was, you know, I remember principals, superintendents, teachers were saying, come speak at this school, this university. And then I would have fans say, do a concert in the UK or do this, you know what I mean? And so that sort of turned into this situation where I was like, this is a beyond our country thing. Like this is a global thing. Um, so that led to the first world tour, which included Greece, the UK, all over the UK. And we ended up, I remember doing something in the Bahamas as well. It really like just the places that I ended up going to talking about, you know, on behalf of this message and this cause totally caught me by surprise. I just, I didn't, I didn't even know there were that many people within the US that had the, had the kind of bullying I had. So that, that part of it, my career opened my eyes to seeing like lots of kids feel alone, but yet at the same time, lots of kids go through this. And if we all learn that we're not alone, that might help thus leading to this this new song. So, I mean, I guess, and your question was, how did I become an international star? Through, through that world tour, one thing sort of led to the next. We've partnered with organizations such as uh, you know, Homoiolo in Greece. They've done incredible work. We've worked with Kidscape in the UK. And really just social media, I actually have to say, can be really beneficial to everyone if used the right way. I mean, to people who have depression that may not know what it is or what to do. Maybe they see someone like me saying, go get a therapist. I have it too. You can get better. And, and you know what I mean? Like they may not, because of social media, they know who I am and now, and now they're a fan. And that's more just a, just a way to, to say how it can connect people to messages that can help. It can connect to people to music that they, you know what I mean? That they would not have otherwise found. I mean, look at how I went viral. That never would have happened without social media. So I think that that social media did actually help with that connection element of it for me. But I think that the way it struck a chord with so many people, at least with the bullying part of it, is also contributed to like how it became this global thing, which trust me, that that surprised all of us. <laughs> no one expected the international part. If anything, it's it's my favorite part about the international platform and stuff has been just learning for myself how many people go through this and how many people feel alone but don't have to. So that sort of kind of fueled the fire of really just sharing that message of universality to people who feel isolated. And and I mean, yeah, and I, I just think that like feeling isolated could definitely be dangerous for some people who are feeling particularly vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, no, I mean, just to get back to, to your question, I think, yeah, that's pretty much how, that's pretty much how it happened. Oh, and then one more thing, you mentioned bullying. I'm sorry, the, the mental health component of it was not as spoken about, but I have learned through international travel, through seeing hundreds of thousands of people tell me in one way or another that they're getting bullied. I've learned that mental health does have a big relationship, whether it either comes from the bullying or causes the bullying, it a, plays a big role in it. As you may have noticed, there are great resources and advice mentioned in all our episodes. And for many of them, we actually collect all of these resources for you in one easy place, our newsletter. You can go to dreampathpod.com slash newsletter to join. It's not fancy, just an email about each week's episode 
featured artists, and resources to help you on your journey. Now, back to the interview. Do you feel like the pressures of being a, a singer, a pop star, a spokesperson create their own set of mental health issues that perhaps are layered on top of ones that you sort of came into the industry with? Yes. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, that question, but it, it just, I'm concerned about the, the pressures of the business and how that interconnects to pre-existing mental health issues. Yes, to answer your question. And that's like with a capital Y. Um, you know, that, uh, lo- to make a long story short, this was something that I, that I mentioned in the post on Instagram. I, I was dealing with like a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety and a lot of pressures that I thought I had not had, a lot of problems that I thought didn't exist anymore because I, you know, because I was, I had OCD and I thought I was cured and I thought everything was fine. And, um, Obviously, things picked up with the world tours and with the new songs that had come out, my first album and everything that followed resulted in me being really wanting to like caring a lot about my work and not paying as much attention to my mental health. So the problem with that happened when I realized that there are some, there are still some, some issues there. And I took a break for a while. Prior to You Are Not Alone, I actually took a hiatus and I needed to, I needed to sort of prioritize my mental health. And in that time, I sort of learned that although I may have thought I was better from self-esteem and, and with my confidence, and I thought that my success in music had cured everything, I realized that there were still some underlying issues regarding my coping mechanisms with stress and my self-esteem and neglecting them and not giving them much of a voice sort of contributed to me feeling like at one point I remember feeling just like just having these panic attacks that I haven't even had at any point in my life up until maybe two years ago. So it was a very new thing. And I, I, I still was, I did my second tour, my second world tour, but during that time it was really, I didn't have any coping mechanisms to deal with this new, with this new round of anxiety that I think came about from the pressures I felt that come with maintaining a reputation, that come with maintaining the pressures that, that you, you feel when, when you care about, you know, your work and, and a lot of it is very public. That sort of, I, I internalized it, I think, a little bit too much. And I think it's important to, to definitely just maintain, you know, mental health for, for those reasons, obviously, within the industry. So that is a, that is a very good question. And I've learned that recently. Prior to, I don't know if you'd asked me that a couple of years ago, it would be a different, much more naive answer. But yes, is the answer to that. Well, it seems like the entertainment industry, in talking to a lot of celebrities and people that are putting out art for the love of the craft, they're also dealing with the pressures of the industry demanding certain things of them, whether it's a, an appearance or an endorsement or we need more content. Those types of pressures are really working against, I think, the artistic, like the true artistic intent of what people got into the business to do. Yeah. Is that what you felt as a young person being pulled into? I mean, it seems like you really got into singing and modeling very young. Were you conscious of that pull from the outside people, the the representatives and just the, the business the part fans. of it. Yeah, the business part of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's 
one thing I think that's that's important too. I mean, that is definitely a conflict. That I actually the business versus the art part of it was something I faced like for my first record label contract. That wasn't so internally mind twisting as much as the fact that if you think about a lawyer or an accountant who goes to work and comes home and gets a paycheck based off of their work, that's great. But if you think about somebody who, as you said, creates a song from their heart, their art, whatever, and their face and appearances and their likeness and self is, I don't want to say income, but that is their job, like themselves, it becomes a lot more personal. So work is no longer an office that you go to, to do a job or a task. It becomes like, it becomes, it, so work is no longer the, a thing of like, you know, something that you do and then you come home and have, whether, whether, whether it be a family or your friends or a beer or whatever, um, work is more of a thing of like, who you are is your job. And so, so that can be, I've noticed that I've had these fears, like I've, you know, I've had these sort of, I thought in, in Taylor Swift's movie Reputation, which is really, I mean, it really tackled a concept that I think, you know, obviously she she's one of the most prominent people in the industry, but the concept of being in the industry in general is just if you're an artist, your reputation definitely becomes something that in some ways you can easily become obsessed with or, or you know, afraid of losing or whatever it is. So anyway, I guess I, I so that so that really is one big part of it. I guess when entering for me, I, I used to love the art part of singing. Like when I was a five year old in ballet classes, begging my mom to, I'm like, oh, I want to be in like the Nutcracker and stuff. And and you know, my parents were not, they didn't know <laughs> the show business world at all. But you know, we still joke about that. But but I ended up doing a theater company in my uh, as a kid in Long Island, and I did. Um, to the schools called Stars of Tomorrow. I did modeling. Uh, I finally got discovered by a modeling agent when I was 14, which was young. And then through there, ironically, that through modeling was how I got my first record contract and my first recording deal. So I, I would have thought it was from the theater, but I guess the industry works in funny ways. So that was all definitely like the first time it got professional, it went from like me singing on stage and like loving to do it to like now it's a business became a parent really definitely with the first label. But I think a lot of the mental illness part, amount of stress, anxiety, panic attacks, I think a lot of that for me personally could be stemmed to confidence. And I am curious to learn a lot more about like what causes those, those, those issues and those pressures other than the external things. Yeah. So it sounds like you got started in the arts pretty young, age five, you're in ballet Oh gosh, I would no, I, I may have misspoke. I wish I was professionally in the arts since I was five. I um <laughs> I was doing classes. I I would have willing to give my right arm to be in the industry since I was five. I was like, yeah, no, that was that was more I, I was not good at ballet at all. I didn't make any of the auditions <laughs> that I begged to go to. I, I shouldn't say I wasn't good at all, but I, I wasn't put it this way, I was never in any dance company that I wished I was as a kid. What ended up happening is I learned that I love to sing, again, all really just going to classes, school plays, stuff like that. And, and I was good. I, you know, I was, it was in all the things that I wasn't good at in school, like I was in all the things I was less than average in, this way I was more than average in. And so it was really cool to have something that I was better you know, at than as opposed to worse at than others. That, that's sort of how I got the love for it. But my height and really getting discovered to models, what sort of gave me the luck unfortunately luck was involved is involved in this industry and and because i was tall i was able to 
have the chance to meet my manager and then the first record label. And, and since then, obviously I've, I've switched labels, but, but yeah. When did you discover that you had a Broadway style voice? When I say that, I'd say that as a, a compliment completely, it's like, who is the person who sang the Frozen song? Oh, Dina Menzel. Oh, Dina Menzel. I mean, it's like the, the uh, range that you have. Oh my gosh. Dina Menzel comes to mind. I think any theater geek can ever receive. <laughs> and I don't know if I just answered your question, but I was raised and bred on, uh, in terms of my vocal training and like all the voice lessons, it was all for theater productions. Cause I was obsessed with like being on Broadway one day. And, and that was sort of like the whole, because grow, being a kid growing up in Long Island, New York, you go to, you know, gotten to see a Broadway show in the city. And I was sort of just like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. And then I realized that there was this whole other industry of the recording industry. And, and then when I went viral, then it was like, you're a pop star kind of thing. And, and then, you know, going into a studio and changing my voice to pop style was absolutely totally different. But I, with that being said, I have all the respect in the world for, for people who are trained. I'm a bit biased, of course, but trained with the theater training because I know how hard that really is. So hearing you hearing when people recognize that and compliment it whether it's on my album reviews or whatever it is i'm like way too excited to get that compliment so thank you so much yeah there's many different opinions about like if you enter the pop industry it is i like to say a defining thing but it is definitely a um a different thing to have well yeah it sets you apart definitely there's so many pop singers out there that as an someone who's 48 years old i'm kind of an old man at this point but it blends together all of their voices, there's nothing distinctive about their voice necessarily, but someone like you, it's, it's an effortlessness. That's the way I define it. There's an effortlessness to your approach to singing. And Adina Menzel has it, and there's just a few people on Broadway that, that have it. But you've successfully also taken that into the pop world, which is awesome. Thank you so much. I'm like, Thank you so much. I'm, um, yeah, that, that was, that was actually a whole thing and, in, uh, internally of people trying to teach me like record, like the studio vocal engineers, like just when it came time to switch into that professional world of like recording, I remember it from my first record label contract through all of, through every EP album, there was a lot of that, like, here's how to not sound like uh, <laughs> you're singing an opera, but I mean, there's so much skill involved in that. So they always say it is easier to, to like switch from theater to pop than from pop to theater. So thank you so much. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 So are you uh, writing your own songs? Are you working with co-writers? How does that work? My main co-writer is Heather Holly. She and I were just able to write songs that I'm, I don't know, like when I try to write, there's a couple of songs that I did write early in my career by myself that I, to this day, don't know how I did. But they, it was like they wrote themselves. Like that would be the song about bullying, the anthem, the game, which was, which is like super old now. Now that I think about it, yeah, that was that was by myself. And of course, celebrity was was written on my own. As I cringe thinking about that, no. But uh, the the other songs, like the song, like just the thing, Heather and I wrote, and uh, you are not alone, Heather and I wrote, and it's just really awesome to work with her because she's been like, I don't know, it's just sort of like she'll a lot of the things that I want to say in the pop formula is not something I'm easily able to do, but I am able to write out the lyrics and do all the, you know, do all the work of songwriting, but to be able to make it like that catchy. So my songs are on the radio and she's really that, you know, helpful piece of, of 
that kind of creation. So yeah, no, that, that, so it's one co-writer that I, that I usually stick with. And that is sort of the, the formula for me. And it sounds like she helps you with some of the hooks and mm-hmm. things that will help it be more well-received on uh, pop radio. Well, actually for the song Guardian Angel though, I, the hook that I, uh, it definitely, I have to say it really is a complete collaboration for all these songs, but for the song Guardian Angel, I remember that was a hook that I, is really Broadway, as obviously, and, and I, that was something I had in my head. And, you know, whenever we write bridges, she always, you know, she'll always say like, oh, your bridges are really dramatic and theatrical. Um, that's why Queen is definitely an influence of mine, because I love how they connect theater with, with rock. I think it's like one of the most talented bands ever to live. But yeah, no, I mean, so with Guardian Angel, it was this like theatrical sort of hook that I thought of. And then we kind of just came up with the rest of the song which was about, uh, which was dedicated towards the Carol Calvin Foundation. But that was actually my most recent video. And that music video is very, the whole thing is very dramatic, but in a very good way, I, I think. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that project. Nice. My oldest daughter, who's 28, her favorite band is Queen. So Yes! Yeah, she loves it. And she's, she's a theater kid too. Oh, that makes so much sense. I, yeah. I feel like that's definitely got to be some sort of like a pattern like that that's amazing no yeah theater kids we are our own branch of, of special i think but right. uh, <laughs> I, I have not i have not done theater in over a decade but i i do miss it so much so tell us how that songwriting process works with you and heather and uh, how it starts and and how you collaborate and are you together physically and just give us the specifics if you can yeah, no, I mean, so for the first, we, she's, we've sort of done it like bicoastally where uh, a lot of my first EP, the stuff on, on all that, um, like for example, the song, the earlier stuff, like Just the Thing, the song, the other single, not singles, the other songs on the album, that was done in both New York and LA. And then more recently, You Are Not Alone was, we, we were in LA. So that, so that was all in person. But I, I, I have to say, it depends from song to song, like, who comes up with, with what. Um, it's usually like a discussion of concepts. For some songs, I'll already have a lot. And then she'll be like, you know, and for other songs, she'll suggest like a beat or, you know what I mean? And then I'll say like, okay, and then let's do this. It's really that sort of a, okay, and then let's add kind of a thing back and forth until you have the song, which, which I think is great. Personally, I think working with one person is like easier than having a staff of like five writers or whatever it is that a lot of people, you know, labels have pitched songs to me and written by teams or pitched various teams of writers and sessions, which I'm not opposed to. I just feel very passionately about like, if I, if I can write the songs and if I like them and there and other people like them, then I feel like that's, that's, I think the, the best, my personal preferred way to, to get songs down. What I envision is you sitting down at a keyboard and maybe laying down a simple track and then emailing that track after recording it to your laptop to Heather. But is that accurate or is there a different approach that you use to start the process? Yeah, I like to say the in-person sessions are a lot stranger and funnier and less, I don't know, and, and less like technical than that because a lot of it is is her. We always have a voice. Somebody's always recording something, obviously, but a lot of the ideas that I'll have in terms of the early stage ideas, if there's something that I already thought of, either I'll play it on guitar, right? Or the new idea, the spur of the moment idea ends up looking a lot like, and then what if we do a na-na-na thing? And then she'll know what I'm talking about. 
and then and then we'll you know she'll either play it on the piano or I'll play it on the guitar and uh, she's more fluent in piano than me obviously so that's sort of what it looks like it's I'm definitely a, a big like describe the sound I'm thinking of kind of a person because my inch like my you know I'm a, I'm a singer and I've been a singer for since I was eight or I've been able to sing since I was eight musician musical you know that I sort of learned the guitar the minute I got a recording contract. So I'm more comfortable describing things, which sounds reasonable, but when you hear it in person, it sounds a little bit more hilarious because I'll be like saying the weirdest, like think of a water water faucet, you know, and then <laughs> for this part, you know what I mean? Just stuff like that is is oftentimes how to, the quickest and most efficient way for me to to compose and, you know, put music together. But luckily I've worked with some great producers that are able to, actually do the the technical part that you're talking about how did you learn how to play guitar how did i i think my, my cousin danielle taught me she loved taylor swift and taught me who taylor swift was and i thought that was just like i thought the whole thing was so cool and like this is when taylor swift was like she she was like the breakout country artist mm -hmm. and i'm like oh that's awesome and and so i sort of i don't know i think that i just sort of learned a couple chords that I was not good at and it was just like a fun thing that I thought was really cool that Danny did. And then from after I was modeling and I got my first record deal, I was like, I may have overstated. I'm like, yeah, I could write songs and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm totally prepared for this when I never honestly expected in a million years to have this kind of an opportunity. But I was able to go home and write a breakup song, conveniently had my first breakup about uh, you know right around then too and wrote a song about it and um you know influenced by taylor swift i don't know so so that was uh that was sort of the one that went viral and i've been <laughs> hearing about that song ever since right <laughs> it haunts me to this day no <laughs> so if you were giving advice to a room full of young people just about either they're entering high school or maybe graduating from high school and they really want to sing and maybe they think they have an inherent talent maybe they need to take lessons to get there they want to sing and they want to write songs what advice would you have for them i would say that songwriting is like the biggest life hack i didn't know about until i was a teenager so that's really really a good one to work on i think that singing can be fostered and owned like just the skill itself there's so many ways to get to be a good singer like that are not as hard it's like you'll hear these people who are like oh they have a good voice that sounds impossible but it's kind of it's it's not there's just some techniques that you could learn whether it's like your chorus teacher or you get voice lessons or whatever it is um i mean course teacher in school or whatever you know means you you have to to learning now there's youtube videos on it so i would say that that learning the the skill of singing is obviously helpful to songwriting and songwriting is helpful to so many things not not even career-wise but just sorting out your own issues yourself a lot of people will use it as a tool just for their own well-being and then also you know it's it's just it's such a good tool in terms of like becoming a singer and and, and you know getting a you know now record deals have completely changed what they look like i remember getting in at the internet age where record deals were sort of like figuring out how to become now now we have to go after internet people and luckily i i was an internet person so so it was there was a lot of changes in that industry so it's definitely something to consider. I would say that using the internet to your benefit is the best advice I would have towards young aspiring professionals, whether it be music, whether it be acting or anything like that. I, I, because I think that although we do have to be really careful about the dangers of social media, I, I see it more as a car 
or like a vehicle that can cause mass destruction or it can get you to where you need to go. So it's, so it's sort of like you give that advice even, you know, but within the last five years, it's, it's just the tough part to an advice giving in that industry is everything changes so much with the digital age. Like YouTube, when I first went viral on YouTube, it's changed since then. And now I'm working, I'm a YouTube partner, but that looks different than it was before. And, and it's, and it's fine. Everybody's just slowly, obviously now with COVID-19, I'm sure there's going to be more changes too. So I, I, I think that it's important to just be able to adapt, but also like, if you truly love it, don't take no for an answer. Yeah. It seems like social media is now, as you're saying, it's being used as a vehicle to put out content and people are not being precious about it anymore. They're just I, and and I'm talking about big stars too. In, in the age of COVID and the pandemic and quarantine, people are putting out music and songwriting without worrying about whether they have the right mic or the right look. I mean, they're just putting it out there. And I find that kind of endearing about social media now and how accessible it is to be able to put your your work out there. Absolutely. It, yeah. The part part the one part of me is is really, um, you know, like the anti, uh, the fight the man rebel in me when I was a kid, that's like, you know, like no label would have signed me at 14. If I wasn't, you know, if it weren't for the internet, I wouldn't have had this, this and the other thing. And then the other part of me is, is sort of like, well, now those companies are figuring out how to do the same studio system with the internet, which I think, I actually think it's improved, as you said, because the internet does allow for people who may not have lived in LA with their mom or moved when they were little to do the whole audition scene. Maybe like they're living and who knows where they're living, but because of the internet, they have the same, not the same chances. There's still obvious luck that plays into everything, but it is more accessible for people to, to have that following, to have that break. And, um, and yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you mentioned Taylor Swift. Was she an influence for you growing up? I think that just, yeah, like there were a couple there were a couple people in, in the pop music industry. I mean, Taylor Swift is like when she broke onto the scene, I, w- I don't want to say I, I was like, not when she, she broke up on, she broke onto the scene pretty early, like in 2006. But by the time I had heard of her and, and was being influenced by her, I was 2006, I was in elementary school. But in 2000, I don't know, I was, I think I was just like, I remember going through that phase of trying to learn the guitar and and I, I don't know. I mean, I th- it was around the time I had a, a breakup. And, and so I do think that she definitely influenced that first song, Celebrity. And then the fact that she also was sort of, she had obviously, I mean, she's one of the biggest entertainers in the world. I'm really like, it's really cool to see that there, that there is somebody who is as big as it gets, essentially, that does, that doesn't really like, care about anything i mean that th- really they want to help others like they they use their their name to be a good role model and they put that and they and they prioritize that and i feel like that's really cool because the kids can be influenced by their favorite singer and i think that as someone who was bullied who didn't know others were bullied i felt really really drawn and like it was my responsibility to use whatever fame I had for that reason. So I'm really like, I think it's really inspiring to, it's, it's just, it's great to see that, that there are, that there are others in, you know, in the industry that have made it as big as it gets doing causes that are really important. All right. One final question, Meredith. 
Are there any mistakes that you made looking back on your career that you would um, go back and do differently? You'd make a different decision about business or your approach to the craft? Yes. I think, um, I, I feel like it's way too vague to say the word caring. Um, but I feel like a lot of people, I don't know, I feel like anytime somebody reflects on something and what they would change, or and not anyone, but at least in my case, things that I regret usually are things that just, they're usually things that just consist of me freaking out over stuff that doesn't have to be freaked out over. So it's really just me saying like, I could have done a lot of this without freaking out the whole time. And that that's more just like in the past two, three years when I've been seeing these panic attacks out of nowhere trying to figure out what was going on. But I would say that something I, I really would try to consider is I try to keep myself separate from the craft, if that makes sense, which is hard because, you know, I get on stage and, and sing a message that was that I, I, the story of my life to help other people because of these, the things that I care about, you know, how do you separate yourself from something that's that personal? But I would try to just for the sake of my own confidence, realizing like my true friends love me, my family loves me and a bunch of strangers approval is not what I need to be happy. And, and that's something I would just try to try to consider. And, um, and yeah. Nice. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing your story with us and uh, the listeners. And can you tell us where listeners can find you on social media and also when to expect the You Are Not Alone campaign to launch? Sure. Um, well, I think it's best if we email you the date and details of that because I don't have them. <laughs> okay. I, I would totally tell you if I had them, but I don't. I will put it up on my show notes when you send okay, it over. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. What was the other question? And uh, social media, where, where can listeners find you on social media? I, my favorite is Instagram just because I had, I've always had this, like, I answer everyone myself rule, which is, of course, exaggerated. I don't answer everyone, but it is all by myself, which is, I think, fun. I don't know. I think it's, it's important to talk to somebody who sends me a message um, wanting to talk to me because that's sort of part of why I'm still doing this and passionate about it. I love, it's my favorite part of the job, essentially. So that's Instagram. Yeah. Feel free to, you know, reach me, follow me, comment, all that stuff there. And of course I'm on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. I can be reached. I'm on that as well. Um, but I'm personally checking my Instagram DMs a lot. It was so great talking to you, Meredith. Thank you. Thanks so much. Everyone stay safe. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path.